0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. We always have a little technical di- difficulty sometimes. <laughs> did you but say, welcome to our podcast? Welcome to our podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Bring it on. What are you thinking about
1: today, Mr.
0: Tonight, Tonight, we're going to discuss a few cases that uh, involved uh, police officers uh, and, and sightings. And uh, they've been recorded over the years, and uh, they've been mentioned in many of the books. But uh, to let the public hear uh, their case and how similar their case is to other cases. So you see the comparison of uh, similarities. And uh, these police officers are uh, of good standing in their uh, communities. And uh, the one that I am going to start with tonight is these
1: are the cream of the crop that you've hand selected out of uh, the yeah.
0: These are the ones that have have gotten uh, you know uh, compliments from the investigators that are studying these these cases. And uh, one one of these uh, police officers uh, that I am going to talk about, his name is Sergeant Lonnie Zamora. His last name is Z A M O R. I. and uh he's mentioned in a uh, in a few cases where they've tried to discredit his his story and uh i'm gonna try to uh uh re- revisit that that particular day that he encountered this uh craft and uh it's mentioned in a book and i have a a few different versions of it uh, different writers have uh, and different interpretations. But the one that I'm going to read is from um, the uh, book uh, Clear Intent by uh, Larry Fawcett and Bob Greenwood. I'm sure a lot of the people that are listening tonight uh, who are familiar with these authors uh, know know their work. Uh, so th- this story begins with a uh, description um, of sergeant Law Lon- zamora's uh evening he was um, proceeding to chase a uh, speeding auto north on us 85 during his line of duty and while in pursuit he heard a, a roar and he saw flames in an area where a uh, dynamite shack was known to be located so he abandoned his chase with the auto and proceeded to where he thought an explosion had occurred. In order to reach the spot, he had to travel a little, a little used road over several hills and gullies. After two or three efforts to drive his car up a gravel-covered incline, he reached the crest where the object was visible. At this point, which was 800 feet from the object, he observed what he thought to be a, a car overturned And standing on its end there were one or two objects described as coveralls which he assumed to be occupants of the vehicles he radioed into police headquarters that he was proceeding to investigate a 1074 which is called uh, auto accident that's what a 1074 is proceeding to the road To a point about 15 feet from the gully where the object was, he stopped the car, got out, and headed towards the object. The object was on girder-like legs, white, not chrome, and egg-shaped or oval. As he approached the object, there were some noises and flame and smoke that began to come from the bottom of the vehicle. The noise increased from a low pitch to a high pitch, and was different from that of a jet, and not like anything he had ever heard before. The flame was blue like a welder's torch, turning to orange or yellow. Thinking that the object was going to explode, he became frightened. The time was approximately one and a half hours before sunset. The sun was to his back, slightly to his right. He turned, ran back to get behind his police car, bumping his leg and losing his glasses on the way. He crouched down, shielding his eyes with his arm, while the noise continued to grow for another 10 seconds. At the time, the noise stopped, and then he looked up, and the object had risen to a point of... 20 feet above the ground. It proceeded to move across the gully and disappeared quite quickly. And by the time he he got back to his car, the object had faded in the distance and no time did he observe the object to rise more than 20 feet off the ground so that it was actually flying quite low before it took off into the to the uh, night sky. His report was um, reported to the uh, the uh, the uh, police station that he uh, worked with, and the state police used the same network on and his call was monitored by the uh, other uh, the other sergeant. So there was a witness to what Mr. Zamora was um, going through. Uh, Although the sergeant was skeptical of of the situation and and proceeded to where Zamora had observed the object, here he found the marks and burns. And smoke appeared to be coming from the bush, which was burned out, but no flames, or coals were visible so the sergeant chavez broke broke a limb from the bush and he found it was cold to his touch the marks were fresh and no other marks were in the area the diagnosis is uh the diagnosis of of the four impressions intersect at a perpendicular and a major distance seems to be approximately 13 feet Sergeant Chavez secured the area and contacted local military authorities. This resulted in an investigation of the sighting. There's no doubt that Lonnie Zamora saw an object which left quite an impression on him. There is also no question about Zamora's reliability. He is a serious officer, a pillar of his church, and a man well-versed in recognizing airborne vehicles in this area. He is puzzled by what he saw, and frankly, so are we. This is the best documented case on record, and still we have been unable, in spite of a thorough investigation, to find the vehicle or other stimulus that has scared Sergeant Zamora to the point of panic isn't that interesting this took place in 64 now this case uh because it involved the police officer and uh it was recorded in the uh, in the record books for, for the uh, the night of his uh his duty it uh it gained a lot of attention and uh over the years uh the professional skeptics that i call uh that that work at different positions in uh, magazines and uh, other areas. They, they tried to portray this sighting as nothing more than a misinterpretation of early takeoffs of the uh, NASA program that was not fully underway at that point in time. This was 64, and... Uh, Although NASA was involved in in space uh, research, uh, we we didn't have any vehicles that would be able to go up and down and travel around uh, 20 feet off the ground and then take off, you know.
1: That's a little early, I guess. The 64, I think it was. Yeah. But um, what's interesting to me, too, about what you just read is Chavez kind of shows up as a skeptic at first. Mm -hmm. But then... I think some of his uh, later interviews have corroborated and told some more detail over, mm-hmm. you know, that he, the stuff that he did find, did support um, the you know the the, the premise mm-hmm. at hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it uh, more uh, valid more validity to the uh, to the case, and uh, because that case has been recorded over the years and, and it has not been uh, found to be uh, false. Um, it has, it has stood the, te- the test of time, as I call it, uh, like a lot of other cases that, uh, can't be, uh, destroyed with, the uh, propaganda. Um, this case, like I said, involved police. This next case that I'm going to discuss happened in New Hampshire and a book was written about it back in, 66. Uh, called The Incident at Ex- Exeter, written by uh, John Fuller, who also wrote the, uh, the book on the Betty and Barney Hill case. And uh, this, this case uh, in Exeter, New Hampshire, involved uh, two police officers. And um, the uh, encounter that uh, they had was, of course, rejected because people thought that, you know, they were making this up and uh was nonsense. But the fact that these, these officers were very well uh, respected in their community and official records of the uh, department verified by the two officers that their case was very strong, and the incident was observed by a list, at least five people at a distance and over time, over a time period that allowed for clear and unmistakable observation. Exeter was a microcosm, a reflection of a story, the biggest news break in history <laughs> that was taking place all over the world. Don't forget, in the 60s, all these cases of. Um, closeness with the uh, objects coming down to the uh, earth and doing uh like observations of what humans seem to be up to it seems like uh they were becoming more nosy in the 60s which is apparent by the cases that you have on record that indicate a pattern and uh that's why i bring up um this particular case, uh, it's um, quite an interesting story. Uh, I, I'll try to uh, make it a microcosm because there's, there's so much information to swallow. But uh, it's uh, it's involves a uh, a particular time in September on in nineteen sixty five. Three weeks away from joining the Navy, Norman Muscarallo, the Italian fella,
1: (laughs) plunged,
0: plunged into Exeter Police Station in a state of near shock. He was white and shaking. Patrolman Reginald Scratch, they called him, was on duty at the desk. Helped him light a cigarette before he outlined Uh, uh, sat him down and tried to talk to him. His story came out in bursts. He had been hitchhiking on Route 150 in Massachusetts to his home in Exeter, a distance of about 12 miles. The traffic was sparse, and he was forced to walk most of the way. By 2 that morning, he reached Kensington, a few miles short of his home, Near an open field between two houses, this thing, as he called it, came out of the sky directly towards him. It was as big or as bigger than a house. It appeared to be 80 to 90 feet in diameter with brilliant pulsating red lights around it, an apparent rim. It wobbled, yawned, floated towards him. It made no noise whatsoever. When it seemed as if it was going to, when it it seems that it was going to be, to hit him, he drove down on, he dove down into the shoulder of the road. Then the object appeared to back off, and um, it hovered directly over the road of one of the houses. Finally, it backed up. Off, the, off farther enough for him to make a, a run for the house. He pounded on the door, screaming, no one answered. At that point, a car came by, mo- moving in the direction of Exeter. He ran to the middle of the road and waved his arms frantically. A middle-aged couple drove him into Exeter and dropped him off at the police station. The kid had calmed down a little now, although he kept lighting one cigarette after another. Hmm. Look, said Mascarello, I know you don't believe me. I know you don't believe me. I don't blame you. But you have got to send somebody back out there with me. (laughs) The kid persisted. Officer Tolan, puzzled at first, was impressed by his sincerity. He kicked on the police radio and called on cruiser number 21. Within a few minutes, patrolman Eugene Bert- Bertrand pulled into the station. Now, Bertrand is one of the police officers who uh, is the center of this uh, book. So I'll proceed from here. Within a few minutes, uh, Sergeant Ber- Bertrand and the Air Force veteran and, and an Air Force veteran during the Korean War, with an air-to-air refueling experience on KC-97 tankers, replaced an odd coincidence, an hour or so before, cruising near the overpass on Route 101 out above about two miles out of Exeter. He had come across a car parked on the bypass, a lone woman on the wheel trying to keep her composure. She had said that a huge, silent airborne object had trailed her from one town of Epic 12 miles away, only a few feet from her car. It had brilliant flashing red lights. When she had reached the overpass, it suddenly took, a, took off at a tremendous speed and disappeared among the stars. I thought this was a kook, that Sergeant Bertard told Tolland, so I didn't even bother to radio in. Tolland turned to his kid with a little more interest. This sounds like the thing that you saw. Sounds exactly like it. So here we have a beginning of uh, (laughs) the whole town uh, cooperating with the thing going on between uh, the neighbors and and people in the town. So not only did it involve uh, the two police officers, but it involved all the people that were reporting this uh, sighting. And so they got more involved in the case and they paid more attention to what these people were were, uh, reporting.
1: And, um you never know when a weather balloon is going to chase your car like that yeah I
0: know it's real pulsating red lights you know especially you know and silent yeah no noise yeah, that's
1: interesting that's a commonality right that doesn't make sound she said uh, silent right or, or, yeah silent motion no noise yeah no noise same thing right so and red lights uh, you, you know it's funny because we just you know covered that Recently um,
0: in the, in the Travis Walden case. Yeah. I mean, the,
1: uh they also the, mentioned red lights.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think these are uh, signals that the, uh, the red light is, uh, is a stop sign. You know, I, I think it's just a color that's, uh, assumed to, to be used by, uh, any, anybody,
1: yeah, even, <laughs> Whether even just, uh, even, sting in <laughs> but, yeah, uh, sting no, and songwriting.
0: But, uh, color, color for lights and, and things that are, that are, uh, uh, electronic and and the colors that are uh, appearing to our eyes, I mean, they're, they're shared by anybody, not by just humans. The other other civilizations have, you know, produced machinery that that causes colors to 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 occur, and, and we we try to explain these colors, and they yeah, look like, different to like us. Red pill, for example. <laughs> well uh, look, look at the color red i mean we we see red as as a lot of different shades you know light red medium red deep red dark red you know so all these different shadings of red i mean machinery creates colors because of its i don't know its its um its purpose you know why does one machine cause uh, colors of red and other other machinery uh, causes colors of blue well i mean it, like a welding torch they it's been does, reported uh,
1: how, we, we, maybe once we can understand how to create anti-gravity we can figure that out
0: <laughs> i i've uh, also recommended the um the reading of a book called um night siege the Hudson Valley. Another policeman story. Well, this 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 story involves a whole community because so many people were observing this uh, sighting, and it occurred over a few a few days. And it's a a V shaped object that's uh, dark metallic gray with brilliant flashing colored lights.
1: Well, it's kind of like my hair.
0: Yeah. Well, you <laughs> you can get that done at any salon. <laughs> This happened back um, in the 70s, and uh, Dr. J. Allen Hynek uh, wrote mm-hmm. some of the uh, pieces in the opening uh, part of the book.
1: Wait a minute. So he wrote the, the preface of the book, Hynek? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a major thing, don't you think?
0: Yeah. Th- this fellow's name is uh, spread around in a lot of books. I, I constantly come across him. Even though... A lot of people don't respect his uh, analysis uh, during his uh, work with Project Blue Book, but he did. Uh, he did a, a quite uh, a big turnaround after he got involved with his own uh, study of this subject, and uh, and and communicated with people that, that did really good research. And like I mentioned in a previous rep- uh, episode, um, Heinrich was a uh, you know consultant to uh, Spielberg for the close encounters of the third kind and that movie opened up a lot of eyes to this subject and and brought a lot of uh, income to Steven Spielberg
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, and,
1: notoriety. and yeah i
0: mean i mean he he was uh, a a cinema
1: another well that was after right after jaws i think
0: yeah and, and yet and yet and yet the film still has impact on people today when they see it, you know, and uh, it is just goes to show you the genius of of fil- filmmaking uh, doesn't uh, sit with every every director. I mean, there's only uh, a handful of directors that that really deserve uh, compliments and, and kudos, you know, over the over the millennium.
1: That especially uh, when they're covering things. In, in a way that hasn't been done before or, or a story that hasn't been covered before and are great storytellers
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's just the the way you you bring it across and a lot uh, lot
1: of the, I call them I call them uh, movies and then the ones that are good that are more artistic i consider them films mm-hmm. I can't i have a hard time using that word for a lot of the American marketed over you know over uh, group think uh, agenda pieces that get called films today
0: yeah there's too much promotion on it and, and instead of letting the film you know s- talk for itself and let the let the people make their own decision instead of being programmed to think before you even walk into the theater that, that you're going to be uh, you know blown away with the th- you know the film let, let the film d- convey the 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 feeling itself that's why the the day I saw Close Encounters was the was the the opening week, mm-hmm. so I walked in there like a little kid, like a like a five year old kid wait, waiting to see something that uh, was going to blow my mind, and uh, it did. <laughs> From the Dolby system that was set up Especially at the time,
1: music person, too, you
0: know, and, and the choice of the film's music <laughs> score. Uh, it just, uh, it just this, uh, you know, it just blew me away.
1: And, and the use, it's the the use of the music in the intertwined with the script the way they with did the
0: script it. at the end of the film the the landing scene. Uh, it's it's uh, it, during the interview that I have on my one of my podcasts back uh, two weeks ago. It, he describes the, uh, you know, the complexity of of working with the people and trying to pick people that had a youthful uh, way of, uh, interpreting, you know, phenomenon. And, uh, you know, Richard Dreyfuss was, uh, one of his, uh, his best picks. I mean, he, his, the way he conveyed his, uh, interest in the subject and, uh, the little, the little, uh, scenes that, uh, show him, uh, going to devil's tower were really, uh, amazing. And, uh, I drift off into into Spielberg because well, he, he we, occupies uh, a lot of
1: we, you know we could talk about Heineck for his name is gonna is gonna come up time and time again so
0: yeah Heineck as I said before Heineck uh, when he got out of the uh, the service for the military after Blue Book was closed he he found himself forming his own uh, committee and uh, he wound up uh, funding. Stanton T. Friedman to validate some documents that were uh, allegedly leaked to UFO investigators back in the 80s. And Stanton Friedman um, worked with uh, a few other investigators. One of them is uh, Dr. Robert Wood, who uh, was an employee of McDonnell Douglas at at, uh, at an early time in his career. And he was a, a specialist in validating uh, documents. So, the money that came from the Dr. J. Allen Hynek's fund actually wound up uh, bringing to light the Majestic 12 document uh, and, and pointing to the the validity of the document was uh, Robert Wood. I mean, he contributed. The, uh, the validation of the the document in a different way that 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 uh, Friedman was documenting the document. He did different work. Uh, Stanton Friedman was was going to archives and presidential libraries to validate the people that were listed on the MJ12 group. Uh, and Robert Wood, Dr. Robert Wood, was uh, analyzing the. Uh, formation of the uh, the paragraphs and the uh, the wording and the type print and the uh, the technical things about these documents that were uh, out for public uh, you know reading. So when um, when Doctor J-, J-, uh, J Allen Hynek became became more interested in uh, talking about uh, the subject as a, a, val- a valid situation uh, he he was uncovering a lot of things
1: so ba- so basically he was an an expert in the field and then he was brought onto project blue book which then people kind of caught wind of the fact that it seemed like a cover-up operation more than a fact-finding operation, or it wasn't they, they weren't sharing what they actually found. Yeah, there was a... Like, oh, there's nothing here to see.
0: It, it, there was a turning point uh, in his career uh, on a case that occurred in Michigan, and uh, it involved this uh, object uh, being called a methane or swamp gas in the papers. And it and it it, it tainted uh, Dr. Hynek's reputation to somewhat. Because people didn't buy that uh, explanation—that it was swamp
1: gas—just gas. starts to stink a little bit, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's sort of how it happened. <laughs> and so he became sort of disenchanted with I mean, the, the
1: idea. Was the premise was that people had inhaled swamp gas and were hallucinating because of that and yeah. thought they saw UFOs? Yeah. that was their explanation. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, the the, the amazing uh, story that they try to put out is just <laughs> it's comical sometimes, but. Uh, no, let no, no, uh, no pun intended. They, they did do what they say that they did, but, and but they.
1: Once that was over with, it, it. He was an active person in seeking the truth. You feel?
0: Yeah, I feel because he 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 was involved in in putting his name uh, on books that that had good uh, information in them.
1: So him doing the preface to uh, to this
0: Hudson Valley book. Mm-hmm. The Night Siege. A lot of people mention it that I've uh, spoken to over the years. And uh, the fact that it, that it involves, uh, 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 you know, particular sightings. And uh, we even have
1: pictures in the book of. Uh, this is multiple. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a group of lights. Mm-hmm. There's a picture uh,
0: of uh, multiple objects. Or maybe it's one object,
1: but it's. Uh, taken in 19 1984 uh, July oh, I see yeah it could just be and one huge, you know because it's so dark you can just see these circular lights but it could be yeah I see it could be a uh, one massive shape mm-hmm similar to the Phoenix
0: lights you know the mm-hmm. Phoenix lights had was a triangular shaped craft that moved slowly and uh, was also seen near the Indian point uh, nuclear plant in Buchanan, New York, UFO hovered over the tower and the dome.
1: (laughs) There we go again, right?
0: Yeah. Nukes and UFOs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's, we have a photograph of, uh, people in the town and we have a picture of Sam, of, uh, Dr. Hynek in the center there. And these, uh, these people on the uh, side of him, Philip uh, Embryo, he's the author, uh, and they're doing interviews on the people in the town that had seen this object, and uh, they did uh, they did uh, drawings of this object, and it appears in these uh, these books that uh, are out on this subject. You may not be able to get some of these books because they're out of print. But uh, I'm going to be uh, starting a, uh, a, a book sale, which I'm going to uh, put up these books for sale because some of them are very valuable. And uh, I think that uh, any, people, any people that, that want to keep a collection of these books, they would be definitely interested in some of these books that I have in my collection. But uh, th- this, this case in, in uh, Hudson Valley involved over 5000 people that were reported yeah <laughs> i mean calls. so i mean it, it appeared in one of the most uh, highly populated areas in the uh, united states and for that for that to be a fact and and to have all these witnesses and uh and get these people to 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 put a testimony down on paper that, that this is what they saw and uh And then, in the the corroboration between all these people seems to be very uh, similar to one another. So, uh, either what they saw was an airplane, or it was something else, you know. And to my estimation, (sighs) an airplane. Yeah, Yeah. a slow-moving airplane. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the
1: configuration of the lights did not look like that. They're done in a specific way. You know, it could be skewed by seeing it from a different angle, but it wouldn't look like that.
0: Yeah, and, and normally airplanes have uh, specific lights on them.
1: Yeah.
0: On the one wing is a, a red light, and on the other wing is a red light. Green. Green light. Green I mean. and red. So yeah. those are uh, for… red, for, left, green, right, if I'm yeah. mistaken. So th- these, ni- these lights that are being reported on these objects are not in that pattern. They're bright lights. Some of them are pulsating. And uh, it just leads to something suspicious going on. And when you when you have people that are, uh, you know, not retracting their story because they they saw what they saw, you know, believe it or not. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so tired I of hearing. You
1: this plant, I think, more recently. Um, the Indian point? Mm-hmm um um it looks like um about a about a year ago or so mm. <clears throat> but it was there from nineteen sixty two producing uh, something like a um eleven percent of new york's electricity mm-hmm. hmm.
0: what's the interest that these objects have in our nuclear
1: power plants? 13, 13% of New York State power, Indian Point, produced in 2019.
0: Look at this chapter. Close encounter at Indian Point. There you go. <laughs> they have a curiosity of these uh, power plants that are built by humans. Uh, either they have a, uh, bombs. a a fear of the the nuclear capability that's exhibited in these uh, silos and power plants, but there's an awful lot of interest in there showing up near them, and whether they're uh, photographing them or they're, you know, uh, assessing their uh, output.
1: It's not It's not a surprising finding.
0: Yeah. It, it's, you know? uh, they, uh, there's so many cases of these objects being near or interested in our nuclear power uh, There must power be a lot plants. of activity in Russia. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, plenty of uh, recorded uh, incidents of, of these objects being sighted in Russia and Ukraine, the uh, power plant that uh, was the, uh, what was that, the, uh, the movie that uh, we saw—the uh, famous movie with the, uh, was it Michael Douglas? What was that the uh, the nuclear power plant meltdown?
1: Oh, I don't, I don't remember.
0: Jane Fonda was in it, and <coughs> Michael Douglas. But it was about a meltdown, and there was sightings right near that site, near that uh, silo, and 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 the continuation of their interest in them is is. Uh, It must be a concern for the, uh, the military because, uh, I mean, they're not, uh, they're not doing anything that's, uh, setting them off, but they are turning them off, turning them on and, but they're not setting them in motion and launching them, which would be, uh, (laughs) I guess the end of us. So, uh. When when people that uh, report these sightings over military uh, installations, uh,
1: the government takes notice of these sightings. And yeah, it uh, actually. I'm I'm further to what you were reading there from Night Siege. It apparently hovered over the the one active reactor, like three hundred feet over it, and stayed there for a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's been repeated sightings at this site. Mm-hmm.
0: You wonder what are they doing? What what is it that they're doing? Are they siphoning some of the energy that the power plant produces,
1: or are they worried about the implications of what could happen? I
0: don't know. I I, I sort of think it's like the like like someone steals somebody's gas, you know, and they and they, they put a they put a, a, a tube in your <laughs> gas tank and they suck out the gas. It could
1: be, yeah.
0: Uh, you know they're... Pick up some gold, get a little nuclear energy, charge back up and Yeah, I mean it's like the Tesla, you know, their their craft is powered by nuclear energy, uh, maybe. <laughs> we never know.
1: We don't, except that I don't know if 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 Bob Lazar is right, you know, he considers it anti gravity technology. Well, let's go right back
0: to Broswell. That's what I mean. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean, once you go back to the original story, where where they got came to Earth and seemed to be watching what we were doing in uh, in these uh, areas of uh, detonations, and uh, that's that's what got the uh, the notice uh, in the first place. The Kenneth Arnold's first sighting in in June, nineteen forty seven, and then the the two weeks later, the Roswell crash. And, and after that, sightings became increasing.
1: And uh, the interesting thing about that is that that is military-related and defense-related.
0: Right. And it's also… Related to the Manhattan Project, which was going on <laughs> almost next door to the uh, area where this uh, craft came down. I mean, yeah. the, the 509th uh, military base, that w- which was involved in the, in the uh, capture and, uh, and the pickup of the debris from the crash came from the 509 and the 509 was the only atomic nuclear power military base in the United States at the time so that's of significance this is this is the beginning of their interest in in uh, what we were doing and soon after the the sightings increased and uh, that's why they had to produce a uh, uh, a project called Project Sign in uh, December of 1947 that was uh, started and they had to keep track of these objects and then in the year later they changed it into Project Grudge in December of 1948 and then following it became Project Blue Book. But as as most UFO uh, fanatics know the uh, the project blue book was was shut down after the analysis from the colorado condon committee produced a, a negative result that these objects were nothing more than atmospheric uh confusion
1: <laughs> weather balloons
0: weather balloons meteors
1: do you want to read the uh, the preface that heineck wrote because I'm thinking in, in in light of him being um, labeled as a water carrier, mm-hmm. um, he believed in this story, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He certainly did.
0: And for a man uh, of his background to...
1: Uh I thought there was something on the back cover, like he had or something, or is that?
0: I don't know if this is the... the a uh, different the, book, I think. The, this, is the, this is the same book. It's oh. just that it's... um, It's just a description of the object uh, as it's uh, described by most of the people in the uh, town. But...
1: Uh, but he did write the preface there. Or he did... No, he helped write it. Actually. Yeah,
0: he actually co-wrote the book with uh, <laughs> <That's> with him. Imbr- <laughs> I
1: didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, wow. no, I, I, I overlooked that myself. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Nevertheless, for him to contribute to uh, to a mm-hmm. book on, 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 on a subject that he originally was, was broadcasting as non-existent. Right. And I now think he's that's my point. Now he's jumping he
1: the fence and, and yeah. going the other way. He's supposed to go off into an early retirement with his pay Right, take your pension and just keep Shut quiet. You know? and, yeah, enjoy his white picket fence with dog and
0: you know, mm-hmm. So the fact that, that his name is still mentioned after his death and uh, – People respect that he changed his position on the subject, which, like I said, it, it led to uh, an investigation of leaked documents that confirmed that uh, what he thought was not true was really true, and that's that's the.
1: Uh, and the this was 1984,
0: was it? Well Indeed. the when the document uh was released to the, to the investigators yeah it was in the 80s somewhere around 84 isn't that around when the
1: the film of the MJ That's what I'm talking about yeah, yeah. that's when it oh. came that's there, when it fell uh, into I mean, the this hands this book I or, or was it the uh this one ah, I forget. no you're a little confused <laughs> I think it was this one actually <laughs> this one was in the no, that one was in the '60s. So we've covered three stories today. Yeah, yeah. I, I got a little confused, you. Know? <laughs> yeah, you're entitled.
0: You're a newbie. Uh, this, uh, the Night Siege Butch, a book came out in 1987.
1: Oh, no. Uh huh. That was '87. Okay, mm-hmm. so that was that was after. I mean, uh, uh, I guess there's a, a lot of things happened in the '40s. About every 20 years, it seems like we get a nice little lump of. Information. That's the first book you were talking about that was had Hynek, uh, uh, a
0: Heineck preface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, th- yeah. I'll read this section. Here. This is a preface from the uh, book Clear Intent uh, by uh, Larry Fawcett and Barry Greenwood. the uh, The preface is written by Dr. J. Allen Heineck, and it says, "Quote: The authors have made revealing use of documents released through the mechanism." of the Freedom of Information Act, and other data which have been made available to them, often through private sources, which show that the CIA and the NSA protest... uh, What's that word there? Protestations? That's a new word. I haven't (laughs) heard that one. Protestations of innocence and a lack of interest in UFOs are nothing short of uh, pre- I said, I don't know what that means either. Prevar- prevarication. Hmm. I'm not sure of that word either, but I'll, I'll find that. I'll have to look it up. The implication of these documents and those whose existence has been uh, established in court by whose release was forbidden by these by those courts on grounds that national security might be jeopardized are indeed far-reaching. So the, uh, the this book is based on a uh, a class action suit that was pushed by a uh, a civilian UFO group called Cause C A U S, which stands for Citizens Against UFO Secrecy, and they filed a uh, uh, a letter of uh, Freedom of Information, Information Act. Act to have the CIA release documents. And the documents that they did release were all blacked out and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the the redacted the, the redacted documents have became uh, very <laughs> very popular in, in the uh, ufology uh, field because it, it shows you the hypocrisy of trying to deal with a uh, an agency that doesn't want you to have certain information but they claim to be, Professors of uh, freedom, you know, but freedom is only, you know, so uh, need to know basis, you know, Mm -hmm. your your need to know about the uh, existence of Santa Claus, you know, in fact, they, in fact, they, you know, that that actually to make a mark on that, there's use of that word in, uh, in the astronauts vocabulary. They've used that word. There is a Santa Claus. That word was used by one of the astronauts when he was reporting a sighting.
1: Hmm.
0: There is a Santa Claus because they use the word I would "bogey." I have all the
1: audio from those flights. They have the word. They
0: use the word "bogey," which is another word for a ship or a uh, a bogey, a phony, uh, something phony, uh, something like there's oh, a bogey. You mean bogus. We have a bogey. Uh, it, that, that word is uh, is another uh, code
1: word that they use in in, in the flight uh, manuals. Well, I've heard him say in the flights around the moon, the part where they said, uh, "No one's going to believe us if we tell them what we really saw." Or something. Like <laughs> yeah, those little
0: statements are really uh, funny when you when you put them all together because people are trying to uh, keep something quiet, but yet they can't keep it quiet for.
1: Or they want you to listen to more Pink Floyd. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, they're selling Pink Floyd albums,
0: <laughs> but. Um, there's a oh there's another uh, interesting section in the back of this uh, book clear intent. Besides the uh, the uh, re- revealing the redacted uh, material that was requested, and the prevention of this data from being released was based on the the problem of national security. <laughs> now when when you see a a, a sentence one or two. And you say, okay. But then when you see the whole page.
1: The whole thing, you can only read two things. Top secret and C period. (laughs) And D period, which is the beginning of these two paragraphs. The entire paragraphs are blacked out. Gee, uh, that's very forthcoming. Yeah,
0: that's really being showing your uh, transparency, you know.
1: After the lights went off, we went in the back room and this is what happened.
0: This book has a lot of uh, pieces of uh, paper that have showed up by uh, investigators. Uh, this this one is uh, referencing this uh, lawsuit that took place in, uh, what's the date, uh, 60, 60,
1: excuse me. Oh, it doesn't really have a date on it. Or is that a handwritten one up there? It's kind of so hard to read. Oh, 1980. Ah. Exactly. That seemed, yeah.
0: This was a, uh, uh, it was a class action suit. And uh, the the back and forth between the, the government and trying to uh, explain why they couldn't release this stuff based on uh, it would jeopardize national security is kind of, uh, it's kind of it's odd. It's an
1: easy out, isn't it? Oh, yeah. we can't show you this paragraph, yeah. this paragraph, and this paragraph.
0: Yeah, so stop asking, you know. It's a national security issue, so stop. don't ask. Don't go near it. But um, in this uh, glossary in the back, uh, they have these, uh, what I call alphabet agencies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Our friends they're all composed of uh, no more than four letters maybe five in some some cases some of them deserve four letters but the 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 amount of uh, knowledge to, to remember all of these agencies you know as you as you get in deeper into the government you become acclimated to all these agencies because you you crisscross them I'm sure at some point and and uh, it's amazing how how much of there there is of this stuff in 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 just a, a three letters that that you think oh that's not such an important thing but then you look at what those letters represent and uh, I have books uh, about the CIA which reveal a change in compromised projects that have become too much exposed to the media so immediately they change the name this way it goes back undercover it's like changing the sheets you know they see the blue sheets and you put the white sheets on the table then you think it's something else you know and uh this is what the intelligence operations uh this is part of their operation method and that's why they have different divisions within the agency of the CIA. Counterintelligence, uh, psycho-intelligence, uh, psych-ops intelligence. Uh, uh, there's another uh, uh, category. But uh, these all all evolved out of uh, World War II because uh, they were dealing with uh, enemies that had you know, dangerous intentions for us. So... We developed these uh, models of uh, agencies that would be able to control information. And uh, when the object uh, landed in uh, New Mexico, government was quite concerned about what to do. So the best thing would be to put somebody in charge. And so when Truman signed that letter, which went to uh, James Forrestal, he had a a big uh, responsibility to put together people and he needed to pick the highest uh, cleared people that would protect the national security uh, interest of this uh, unexpected visit. So like I mentioned in previous episodes, a lot of the members of the Majestic 12 seemed to have come from the Manhattan Project, which was the atomic bomb. And that had the highest classification until the UFO situation uh, arrived, which then became two points higher than the Manhattan Project. So if you thought the Manhattan Project was classified, just imagine how high the classification is for these these vehicles that are observing us. And what's their agenda? Are we in contact with them? Are we just uh, being observed? Because there's information that has come forth that uh, we could be in communication with them. And they could have a representative. And that's mentioned in the SOM files.
1: I so, think Nancy Pelosi is probably in touch with them. I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, she's in touch with something. She's I don't the know. speaker for us also but um you know the 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 subject like I say is very complicated to to uh, understand because of its uh it's it's a fearful thing when you don't know the agenda and the agenda either is known by officials and it's too uh it's it's not for public consumption so. But it, it, I mean,
1: if they wanted to destroy us, what would have stopped them?
0: Right, they could have done it as soon as they got here.
1: If They wanted to take our planet. What would have stopped them if they had a, a lot more technology than we do?
0: Yeah, so trying to figure out what is the agenda—is it just to observe us and keep us uh, from destroying ourselves, or is it, uh, you know, something that they want to uh, occupy this place because they they come from a dying planet, or you know, I mean, there's so many speculative. Uh, answers that that could be uh, put up for why they're here. So uh, I guess until the decision is made, we're going to just have to stay on the outside and I'm just going to have to keep publishing this broadcast of uh, podcasts every week. (laughs)
1: Well, Maybe we make the best ice cream in the galaxy or something.
0: Yeah, we could have. Yeah, Haagen-Dazs is pretty good, but Nancy Pelosi has pretty good stuff too, I heard.
1: (laughs) She might have the she, she has, has the, the, the high, end stuff. We uh, the high buy, stuff. Right? Yeah, the high end stuff. <laughs> this is alien uh, ice cream. Yeah, alien mint, ice cream. mint chocolate chip bars.
0: So um, we're going to uh, we're going to say goodnight tonight.
1: Yes, that was very interesting. Um, the you know the fact that policemen that are were experienced have had their sightings too, and I guess once airline. Pilots started having the signs. They put a lid on that real quick. but I imagine there must have been some control put on the police sightings as well. Yeah, to keep your mouth quiet. Because you know they get a lot of phone
0: calls. You know, I'm sure that they tried to, to discredit uh, Lonnie Zamora's uh, story because uh, it was such a uh, publicized, publicized uh, sighting. And the case got a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, because he was a police officer, uh, you know, y- you could accept it as a uh, truth, or you could say that uh, he was just, uh, you know, drunk or something. But uh, I-, I don't believe that. I believe that he-, he did witness what he saw, and so did the police officers in New Hampshire witness what they saw because of the amount of people that, uh you know, verified their sighting and uh, the fact that these were not just uh, new recruits in the police department. These were veteran police officers. So these things are important to uh, to take into consideration when you're trying to figure out what to believe and what to suspect as uh, propaganda. That's so right. We, we'll see you next week. Guys, and, we uh,
1: appreciate you coming.
0: We do and we Provide uh, some questions for us. We would love
1: that. You can email those to UFO's Top Secret at ProtonMail.com. That's UFO's Top Secret at ProtonMail.com. Send your questions. Let us know your thoughts. Some topics that you'd like to see us cover, but we'll keep bringing you these little tidbits of truth. And read, read, read. We'll see you next week. Good night. I don't know what it was. It wasn't an airplane, but it happened to come of the direction. Dead, murdered, 295. Yeah, oh, something just passed over. Uh, I don't know what it was, but it's at least two, 3,000 feet above us. see, I passed right over top of it. Greetings, earthings. You have discovered the podcast Why